What's up, folks? It is me. It is me. It is Mr. Sensational, Gino V, Gino Vega, coming to you with very special episode 90. That's 9-0 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast right here on the IC Robots Radio Network. Folks, you know the drill, but if for some bizarre reason... Some member of the tens of ones out there listening does not. We are a show in which I, Mr. Sensational Gino Vega, an incredibly average, mediocre, middle-aged individual, plums the depths of my soul, the depths of my psyche, reaches into those existential guts and pulls those entrails up and out and synthesizes them into a web of content to share with you for what generally ends up being about 38 minutes a week when all is said and done. And we are here this week to do it once again on, as mentioned, episode 90, episode 9-0 of the podcast. So without further ado, let's kick off today's episode. Uh, A few check-ins, um of the life sensational things that have been going on lately, and then we will continue with a topic that was broached last week, a topic which is my history with, uh, I think we mentioned we were going to stick with home video games. Video games played at home on video game consoles and uh, personal computing machines. Um, Before we get into that, What's been going on in the Life Sensational? I have been in a strange place for the last few days. I'm recording this on a Tuesday. Since last Friday, my wife, Ms. Sensational, has been out of town at a work conference. Uh, In the days of old, she would go to these maybe a couple times a year. Her job doesn't normally entail travel, but uh, except for... What used to be a few times a year for these conferences for a few days here and there. And then these things have been um, not a thing for the last few years because of the the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, In fact, the last work conference that she went to prior to the one that just took place last Friday was like right before COVID jumped off. And it was actually in Seattle. And she was up there in Seattle, and that was one of the kind of the epicenters in the United States where it was like, oh, this thing's actually for real now. It was, it was all jumping off right when she was up there in Seattle. Um, so then nothing for a couple of years. But now the conference circuit for her uh, profession is back, and she went. But if, when she's away at a conference, that means I am rolling solo here at Sensational Manor 2.5, where I live in Napa, California, with my children Miss Sensational 1, age 17. Miss Sensational 2, age 14. Um, and normally it's, it's generally all four of us here pretty much all the time. I don't mean we're all at the house at the same time. but it's, it's very rare that one of the four of us is not here for multiple nights in a row. And this used to be a bigger uh, deal, require some bigger adjustment when the kids were smaller. Um, you know, because I went from two adults having to take care of every single thing that came down the pike regarding these two small children. And suddenly one adult is gone and now you're by yourself. That's not really so much the case anymore because the kids are older now and much of what they do is on their own. And I don't even see them half the time. They just disappear. Um, So it's not like I, it's, 
not as Herculean a lift as it was in the days of yore to go from two adults in the household to one for a few days. But it's still just, it throws everything off. It's, it's strange. It took place over the weekend, and the weekend is kind of the, the main time where, where we all see each other. Um, and uh, she's coming back tonight, so this, this period of strangeness is over. But I, I feel like I've lost, in the, in the last few days, I've lost all, all sense of space, all sense of time. Uh, I am a creature of routine, a creature of habits, and um, yeah, I just feel like that's all gone, and I've been living in this weird limbo vacuum zone for for decades now, and really it's been like, what, four days, maybe? I don't know. Um, Big difference this time between even um, the uh, last time, two years ago, or whenever it was, her last uh, uh, conference she went to, I ended up with quite a bit of time just completely to myself, completely by myself, because like I said... When the kids were smaller, when I was home by myself, it was me having to entertain them, having to take them to do this, that, the third. Um, this time over the course of the weekend, they both had plenty of stuff to do on their own, so they could just kind of bounce, did their thing. So I had to occupy my time. I had to figure out what I was going to do. Um, what did I do? I uh, Friday, I did nothing. I cleaned the house. By the time I was done, it was 9 o'clock. Uh, I bought myself a six pack of cold ones. I did not drink a single one because it was already nine. I was like, what's the point? And I went to bed Saturday. I had to take, uh, miss two to, um, Napa bowl, the local Napa bowling alley. She was going to go bowling with some chums. So I dropped her off there, and it's one of those deals where I was on a call to pick her up, but I had no idea, were they going to be there for an hour, were they going to be there for three hours? So I dropped her off, and I went to um, favorite uh, mainstay hangout of the show. I went to the place where I spend most of my time when I'm not at home hanging out. I went to um, the uh, cigar store here in town, Napa Cigar. And I ran into some people I know, because I've gotten to know quite a few people there. Ran into... uh, uh, the young, uh, the young boy, Josh, I call him the young boy. Cause that's a term in uh, uh, Japanese wrestling for rookies, young boys. Uh, and this guy's, this guy's not that young, but he's like in his early twenties, I think. Um, so the young boy, Josh, uh, Josh is, um, I think he was recently off a stint in the coast guard and he's now going to, um, community college in San Francisco. And he lives like somewhere in, like in Fairfield, which isn't that far from here. And he works at a hotel in here, here in town as a, a bellhop, uh, young dude. And so, like, he's always fun to talk to and hear about what he's up to. I haven't seen him much lately. I had a feeling the the, the school semester started and he kind of disappeared. And I figured that was going to happen because he's too busy to be hanging around in some uh, uh, cigar shop, getting his ear chewed off by some old guy trying to talk to him. Um, ran into these two guys I know called the Cousins. The cousins are just that. They're two cousins. And I think the cousins are tech guys. And they don't live here, but they come here during the weekend. And I sometimes talk to the cousins. Um, then finally, I hung around long enough that my best friend at the store, a fellow named Mark, showed up. And Mark lives in the state of Washington. But Mark manages a data center here in the area. And so he comes down here for work from Friday through Sunday. But his work is like all on call. 
Like he's he's being paid to be in the area in case something goes wrong at the data center, but it's not like he has to sit there at the data center. So he hangs out at the store. And uh, Ms. S and I have gotten to know him fairly well over the last few months. He's kind of the main person we talked to there. And so I hung out with Mark, and it turned out, it turned out, I somehow missed this. Um, within the last couple of weeks, on a Saturday night, Mark was in the store, and a fellow came into the store. And the fellow who came into the store, who Mark recognized, Mark ended up taking a picture with, Mark sent me the picture, was that actor, is his name Anthony Anderson? I feel like I always get his name wrong, but I think he's Anthony Anderson. He's the kangaroo jack guy. He played Antoine Mitchell in The Shield, kind of one of the, one of the major heels in the, in the Shield TV show. Um, one of the heels that wasn't on, a non-police force heel. He was like a, a criminal heel. There were all kinds of, that show was like heel versus heel for the most part. Um, heel being a term in wrestling for, pro wrestling for a, a villainous character. Um, but you, you know who this guy is, right? I, I, I'm not hip enough to what's going on in the world of movies and television currently to know what he's in these days. I know he's still around, though, because I, I see him all the time. I, so anyway, he came into the store, and uh, Mark recognized him, and Mark took a picture with him. And Mark sent me the picture, and I uh, posted the picture on my Facebook to show what life is like in Napa Cigar, and no one really noticed it. Because I think that the people might not have gotten that the other guy in the picture was the actor, Anthony Anderson, or whatever his name is. This is bothering me. Let me look this up. Anthony. Anderson. Yeah, that's him, Anthony Anderson. So anyway, Anthony Anderson was 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 chilling in Napa, and he came to um, the place that I hang out with, hang out at, but I was not there. Um, what else did I do? I actually went back there on Sunday. Because I wanted to watch NFL football. I wanted to watch my team, the Raiders, who had not won a game yet. They were the only winless team still in the league. And for years, I have watched NFL in the comfort of my own home. But this year, I don't know why. Um, I've been kind of experimenting with trying to go out into the world and watch it. Um, I feel like, because I'm not... This hyper-social hyper person. It's very bizarre that I even have a place in public that I go to and hang out with people now. And uh, it's also not in character that I'd be going out to try to watch something outside of my home. But I feel something's been pulling me more in that direction lately. I, I think, honestly, it's because the kids are getting older, as I mentioned earlier. And so they require less active care and feeding. So... Just in general, I'll have more time on my hands. But at the same time, um, with them kind of receding from that role where, you know, they're small children and my entire existence revolves around uh, caring for them, I'm realizing I kind of need to um, fill some of that vacuum that's quickly, quickly being created. Uh, sitting around the house by myself, watching the same wrestling over and over again, playing the same video games. It's just not doing it for me lately. So I, I, I've, I've felt the pull, the, the call of the wild to go out into the world and see what the world has to offer, which is sometimes fun and sometimes not as much fun. So not this Sunday that just ended, but the Sunday before, I tried to go out to watch um, football at a place because the game started early and uh, Napa Cigar was not open. So uh, I went to a place and... 
it will remain unnamed. It was an incredibly unpleasant experience. It was a place that was showing the game, and there were some other dudes watching it, and they were like, most of them were older than me. There was one kind of younger guy, um, or maybe he just looked young. He was like a finance guy. There were all these like, you know, uh, businessy type dudes, and just like kind of human walking cliches. Like we were sitting in this area where there's a window looking out the street, and that's Napa, and so there's like all kinds of people walking by. There are very, very many women walking by, and these guys felt the need to comment on every single woman that walked by. <gasps> there's another one. Oh, oh, there goes one. <laughs> oh, there's one. It's like you've never seen a female person before um, in your many decades walking the earth. I don't, I don't know. It, it, very, very juvenile. And I, I don't say this, you know, people, when, when, if I, if I were to say something to these people, if I were to, to, to express how sort of like, uh, poor this felt to have to listen to this, um, there's often this idea that you're being thin skinned, that you are offended. And that's not really the issue. The issue is just, it's very bizarre to be doing running commentary about other people that are walking by, um, endlessly, in a public place. I don't know. It just, it just felt very, it just like very odd, very tonally off to me. But this is how people feel um, that they should be acting in public, I guess. So this is an example of where my, the, the call of the wild sort of sent me scuttling back to, uh, to home. But then I decided to dust myself off and try again this week. And this week, fortunately, the game was at such a time that I was able to go to my regular spot at Napa Cigar and I hung out with some dude from Southern California that was in town visiting, and he bought a pizza, and he shared his pizza. And um, another guy, George, that I'm friends with, showed up, and he watched the game. And then um, eventually my friend Mark, who is also a Raiders fan, showed up after the game was over. So I hung out for him with him for a while, and then I went back home, and then I got dinner for the kids. And that concluded my epic weekend by myself. A, a wild and crazy time, and I have no idea why I'm sharing any of this other than the aforementioned point of the show being plumbing my depths and regurgitating the nonsense and nothingness that um, I have experienced over the last week. That said, let's move on to the topic at hand. Let's continue my riveting walk down memory lane when it comes to my history with video games. And last time I was telling you the tale of being at a home in Richmond, California, sometime in the, uh, actually, I should be able to pin down uh, when this was. Hang on. That's me using the sensational personal computer here to look up. Okay, this would have had to be in the early 80s earliest being 82. So I'd have been six to seven, seven to eight, eight to nine, nine to eight, eight to one, six years old. Um, which seems odd because uh, I guess maybe I feel, uh, never mind. You're just getting too far. I, I must've been about six years old. Um, we were visiting some friends of my parents, uh, a couple where the woman was, a college friend of my mom and her significant other whose name was either Don or John Johnson um, was a man who uh, my parents warned me did not like children. So I always felt nervous when I went over to his house and we had gone over there for dinner 
and as I as I said, he he certainly was like glowering at me for a good portion of the time. I, I dropped like a drop of something on the table, and he like pointed at it, and it was like trembling and glowering at me, and I had to wipe it up with a napkin. But he had some sort of one of those Atari computer gimmicks. Um, I don't know which one it would have been at the time. Um, some Atari eight bit you know, souped up video game console pretending to be a personal computer. And the game that he had for that computer was a game known as Minor 2049er. And that day or that evening in Richmond, California in 1982 uh, with Don John Johnson, who hated kids, was the only time I've ever encountered this game. But I was captivated by this game. And for some reason... Don John Johnson, who hated kids, actually allowed me to play the game using his computer. I remember my dad had seen the game at a previous visit to Don John Johnson's home in Richmond, California. And um, my dad is, oh, he has this amazing video game, but don't get your hopes up because he hates kids, so he's probably not going to let you play it. But he let me play it. And I'm looking back at this game now, and it looks fairly dopey. Um, as No offense to the retro folks out there, but I mean... For me, up until you get to like the NES era, I feel like most of these games, with a few exceptions, which I will mention, uh, do not age well. Like I would not sit down and play this game in 2022. Um, there are certain old NES games I would still play, but the the, the uh, early 80s, it's just it's like just lines and bad colors. And uh, this game, you're just some dope jumping around on a bunch of platforms, and you can't really distinguish what's going on here. I guess he's supposed to be in some kind of radioactive mine or some nonsense. But for some reason, I found this game so captivating in 1982 when I was playing it. And I think what it is with a lot of these early games, I was so young, the video games industry was so new, even though these games were so primitive and so rudimentary, it always felt like anything could happen. Like I didn't understand. I was playing something that was on rails and what you saw was what you got. I always thought somehow I was going to break through to some level where things looked cooler or the guy was going to be able to do some you know, the character I was controlling was going to somehow transform into something else. I don't know what I was thinking. We'll get into this a little bit more as, as we as we carry on. But I just was floored and captivated by this game, Minor 2049. Just the whole experience of, of the sights and the sounds of video gaming. I was all in, and it all began with that game. And again, I don't really remember the, the, the specifics of why, but I do remember that was the moment where I fell in love with uh, home video gaming. So... Probably somewhat concurrently with that minor 2049er experience. Actually, before we move on, I just want one little side note I want to add. Um, I was thinking about this recently. It is interesting to note that it was an adult who hated kids, Don John Johnson, that had that Atari 8-bit console, whatever it was, and had that game. Um, Even though we tend to think of... um, video games as something that appealed to the youth of my era. Again, it's interesting that that, that that first, one of those early adopter console owners I met was an adult. And of course, you know, the, the, ki- the kids didn't have the money to buy those things at the time. An adult had to be buying it, but it was an adult that wasn't buying it for a kid. And I was thinking about this recently because after last week's episode on Twitter, I believe friend of the show, friend of the network, um, at Teen Wundle, T-E-E-N, numeral one, D-O-L, Wundle, Teen Wundle. 
at Teen Wundle was was claiming to have played Atari 2600 video games. And I found this odd because Teen Wundle is about, I think he is 22 years old now. And so I was like, were you playing these in another lifetime? Like you you were someone before you reincarnated as Teen Wundle that was old enough to play 2600 or you're just so retro that you're going out of your way to play horrible 2600 games. And he assured me, that somehow there was a console in his home when he was a child. But he mentioned, I think, and I, I, I forgive me if I'm getting this, this wrong, I think he mentioned that it was actually his dad that bought the console. And I feel like, I, I want to say that he said that like his dad bought the console, but it wasn't like he strictly bought it for the kids. Like Maybe he was playing it himself, and his dad was like in his 30s at the time. So that is an interesting thing that I've noticed, because um, Don John Johnson, who hated kids, was into the early home video games. My dad, of all people, um, who died at the age of, I think he was about 76 two years ago, um, he was into early console video gaming. And, and he was never into it past like that 2600 phase, but he was into both early arcade games and early home video games. Um, another guy in that same age uh, range that I know told me about how he remembers when... Um, Arcade consoles, the early arcade consoles, like I could have the game wrong. So, you know, Engineer Nerd, you can correct me at Engineer Nerd on the Twitter machine. Um, but like, I think he said like, you know, games like Asteroids started showing up in bars, like when he was, you know, a young adult out in bars. So there is this interesting crossover where uh, there is kind of this generation of boomery dudes that the early video game industry appealed to at the same time as it was appealing to the little kids who would go on to become the lifer video gamers. But I feel like a lot of the the, the boomer guy, and I, I'm probably being sexist by saying guy, but I'm, I'm sure at the time they were marketing to, to, to boomer men. Um, the, uh, I don't, I don't think that those people continued with it. Like they weren't, they weren't playing like, you know, super Nintendo 20 years later or whatever. I don't know. I could, I could have that time frame wrong, but you know what I'm saying? Um, with that, I will continue to say that, um, yes, concurrently with being exposed to Minor 2049er at Don John Johnson's house who hated kids in Richmond, California, um, I had begun seeing 2,600 consoles mostly in people's houses around town, other kids' houses. Uh, I mentioned last time you'd get the proverbial kid with the divorced dad and you went to hang out with him when he he was... um, you know, you had a custody split and it's like a dad weekend. And so you go over and hang out at the dad's apartment and the dad's got like a bunch of gimmicks, like the laser disc player and the Atari 2600. Cause the dad is batching it now and has disposable income just sitting around the apartment all day doing nothing. Um, I mean, maybe he's doing all kinds of stuff. Who knows? I just remember these dad, these divorced dads from that era, that early eighties era where I was just kind of lurking around like smoking cigarettes and like they had like a bunch of laser discs everywhere and you know, they'd go out to smoke the cigarette and we'd play Atari 2600. Um, that wasn't always the case. There were also, uh, there was the flip side mom version of that. We'll get into all of that. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm getting ahead of myself. I'm digressing. I'm egressing. But uh, video game consoles started to pop up in homes. And this was like early 80s. Again, I was like six. It was around 82. Because I looked up and I, I, as I mentioned last time, Pitfall, after Minor 2049er, Pitfall was the next game that really really got under my skin. I mean that in a good way. I mean like made an impression on me. And Pitfall is one of those few games I will say I was I was dogging on the quality or the aging quality of uh 
Atari 2600 era games earlier. But Pitfall was such a beautiful, such a polished game, used every ounce of what was available at that time technology-wise, that that is one that, to, to me, still stands up to this day, still holds up, still looks like a million bucks. And that game was so captivating, so amazing. But I remember... Uh, being at some guy's proverbial divorced dad's house and he had the 2600 and he had a pitfall and I was ooing and aahing at like the switches on the console and just seemed like this like incredibly, incredibly intense piece of equipment. And we played pitfall, we played pitfall, we played pitfall. But then what would always happen, it started even in that early era. You'd have, you'd be hanging out with this kid that had access to this dope video game. And of course it's familiar to him. You know, he, it's, he has it all the time. Now he has his friend over, and he wants to take the chum out to go do something stupid like throw a Frisbee back and forth. And I'm like, no, man, let's play this game. And he's like, no, I have this game all the time. Let's go throw a stupid Frisbee back and forth. So I would run into this problem, and I would continue to run into this problem. But I remember Pitfall. I can't remember what kid this was. It was some dude that I knew in, like, kindergarten or first grade. And I would be trying to go over there to play Pitfall and just get blocked. Like, I'd get to play it for, like, five minutes, and then, like... Either the, the dad would come in from chain smoking and want to use the TV or the kid would want to throw the Frisbee. I remember one time the kid wanted to watch TV instead and he turned on the TV and it was MTV and it was a whatever the Scorpions video is where the guy has like forks over his eyes and it scared the hell out of me. It, it just like terrified me and um, I couldn't believe that such a thing was being shown on TV and I thought it was never Never going to be the same again. I was just going to be scared for the rest of my life. And I could have been playing Pitfall, but instead I was being exposed to this horrifying imagery. Anyway, um, yeah, so you'd, you'd come across, start to come across the Atari 2600s here and there. And finally, things really um, culminated on that front for me. And again, I feel like I've told this story before, but again, um, as I think uh, uh, Joe C., who's... Um, Twitter handle eludes me, uh, but another friend of the show, friend of the network, uh, I think he pointed out that it was like five years ago when I first stopped doing the show. So God help me for remembering anything I was talking about back then, but I feel like I've told the story before, but whatever. Uh, we went to visit my family, my nuclear family, my mom, my dad, my brother, and myself, Went to visit my uncle Anthony, my mother's youngest of her two younger brothers, down in Los Angeles. And uh, Anthony, um, I don't know him well. Back then when I was little, we would visit him quite often. But um, my mom's family, her dad died when he was 60, I believe. Not, not particularly old. And he probably died in like 86 or something like that. So I was about 10. Um, and while he was alive, he was kind of like a belligerent. The way I try, I describe him, he was essentially a um, Chinese-American Archie Bunker. Like he was kind of a portly fellow that liked to sit in a recliner and watch TV and was always angry and yelling at my grandma. And uh, I got along with him pretty well. Um but I remember one time I just saw his extreme rage come out because um, uh, I was actually uh, sometime back I was going to pull try to take a page out of Icy Robots book and you know Icy Robots will occasionally do these sort of like radio dramas these radio operas I was going to try to do one on this show but I just couldn't 
no one seemed to notice where I was going, that I was starting to plant the seeds, and it was just like kind of time intensive, and I'm not as good as all that stuff as he is, so I just I shelved it. But I was going to do a whole radio drama about this robot toy that I used to own, Tommy, the atomic power robot. And this gimmick, you'd push down on his head and be like, I am Tommy, the atomic power robot. Please give my best wishes to everybody. And then make this horrendous noise and like spin around in a circle. I think I got his, his catchphrase a little bit wrong, but it was, it was along those lines. Um, I got it one Christmas season and we we're having Christmas at my grandparents' house and I kept playing with it. I kept playing with it. I kept playing with it. It was really loud. And my grandpa was like, um, okay, you need to stop playing with that now because I said so. And I was like, okay. And then like 45 minutes later, my mom's younger, youngest sister showed up with her boyfriend and I was like, oh, can I show you this toy that I got? They're all, yeah, sure. So I pressed it and it started playing. I am Tommy, the atomic power robot. Please give my wishes to everybody. And my grandma just came running in the room and was like, do you want me to tear that thing apart? Do you want me to tear you apart? And then my dad, who was like, fairly mild-mannered dude just like jumped up and like body blocked my grandpa and <laughs> they started to get into a brawl and then uh, we still had to spend the night there because um, we were visiting so that was awkward and I thought we were all going to be like murdered in our sleep uh, then my parents didn't talk to my grandpa for like a month after that and then finally my grandma convinced him to call me and uh, he was like well I'm sorry I got mad see my whole thing is I thought that you know yeah he told me to stop but these other adults said I could do it but I didn't realize the hierarchy of adults, especially in that kind of more belligerent, like Cro-Magnon. Uh, I would say my grandpa was, he, he definitely, if he was around today, he would very likely veer mutant. Um, but yeah, so he gave me this whole mutant rap about how like, yeah, you have to understand, you know, um, uh, I know that you thought Valerie said he could do it, but I'm the man and the man is a king of his castle. And I remember even like when I was like, you know, I was like eight hearing this, I was like, dude, this is like the dumbest load of um, stuff I've ever heard in my life. But all right, man, if you if you need that, if you need to believe that, you can go on believing that. So we kind of made peace, and then he died shortly after because he was very angry and uh, chain-smoked cigarettes all day and ate poorly and had a massive coronary. Anyway, um, oh, so the whole point of this is when he was alive, that family, my mom's side of the family, um, we would all see each other and hang out a lot because he, it's sort of like with um, uh, the Iraq War, how like Saddam Hussein when he was in power was this kind of like strong man dictator and kept all the tribes, all the tribal factions and everything in Iraq under one umbrella, kind of like, I don't want to say coexisting, but forced things to, to run a certain way. And then when he was gone, all hell broke loose. And I'm not saying it's good to have the dictator, but it just, it's, it was that same dynamic. It's like, once my grandpa was gone, everyone was like, well, I don't have to deal with you people anymore. Peace. So, um, we all kind of stopped seeing each other. Anyway, this took place when he was still very much alive, and so we were going down to Southern California to visit Anthony, his son, my mom's brother. And Anthony was always kind of this high roller dude. He like ran um, health food stores when that was a new a new fad in the eighties. He was early adopter health food store operator, um, and we were visiting him, and he had an Atari twenty six hundred, and he had like a million games for it, and. Uh, he I just sat there playing it the entire time and I was so into it and I just played game after 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 game and so finally when we were getting ready to leave from the visit he was like well you know the boy can just take the system home because that's not even mine I don't want it and it turned out he had a P.O. box or something and it got delivered to him and he just kept it and so 
He said I could have it, and my mom was sort of like, well, that's illegal. You basically stole it. And he's like, eh, whatever. Uh, so somehow I was able to take it home, and take it home I did. So I, I went from, from nothing, nowhere, nowhere in the video game world to suddenly having my own Atari 2600 system, and I swear to God, like 50 games. Um, so in the early days of being in possession with that, it actually wasn't an Atari, an Atari 2600. It was whatever the Sears it's like the Sears VCS, like video console, something or other. I don't know. E-Nerd, you, you can handle that one. Um, but yeah, it was like the Sears knockoff of the Atari 2600. I don't remember and I don't care to look up how all that licensing worked and everything. But uh, ended up with like most of the classics. You know, I had Asteroids, I had Pac-Man. The thing that was funny is I was such a dopey kid. I did not understand that the games that you were playing on the 2600, like the, the Pac-Mans of the world, were quote-unquote ports of what you'd play in the arcade. So that was not a, uh, you know, a bit-for-bit bit exact... Trans- you know, I didn't realize I was playing a much poorer translation of the arcade game. And I, you'd think I would look at it and realize it looked like garbage. But I just, it's Pac-Man. But you know, it's, all, it's all Pac-Man to me. Um, and so... Uh, had Pac-Man, had Asteroids, had uh, Adventure, um, Combat. Combat was like one of my all-time favorite Atari 2600 games for some reason. I I say for some reason because it's been so long since I played the game, I can't remember what I found so appealing. I remember just liking to sit there on like a Sunday afternoon and flick the console switch, the difficulty select thing that would change the size of the planes or whatever. Like, you know, like if it... You could make them real small to, to big and all in between. I would just sit there doing that for like 20 minutes, watching watching the planes change size. Um, uh, going back to what I was saying earlier about always thinking there was something more to these games that I was missing. Remember, there was a really lame game, although, of course, I found it very riveting at the time. I think it was called Night Driver, about as generic as you can get. One, one of those sort of shovelware uh, 2600 games, Night Driver. And Night Driver used these paddle controllers that, that came with the system, uh, the Sears system that I got from my uncle. Pardon me as I take a sip of water. Um, but uh, Night Driver, you're just endlessly driving on these tracks with kind of these fences on either side. And I swore to God that at some point, you'd reach the opening of the fences and you'd be able to pull off and get out. I was basically envisioning it was going to be like Grand Theft Auto, but like, you know, decades before that was possible. And I, I would play Night Driver and I'd play Night Driver and I'd play Night Driver and I would never get to that turnoff. But I knew it was there. I knew it was out there. And I knew eventually I'd play long enough to get there. And that's, sort of what, that's, that's the kind of mentality that kept me coming back to those really rude, otherwise very rudimentary 2600 games because if you really break them down for what they are there's not that much there but I somehow spent so much time just immersed in those games and I know maybe that sounds bad because there's all this nonsense about how screens are bad and you know I should have been outside uh, kicking a rock but those games stimulated my imagination it's not like I was just sitting there drooling you know staring at a screen I was thinking a mile a minute. I was thinking about a million different things. I was envisioning things that weren't there. I was seeing stories. I was ma- creating canon, continuity. All this stuff that I think, I think is like intellectually stimulating. I think helps build good reasoning powers and uh, uh, logic and comprehension skills and, and 
all these kinds. I'm not saying I'm some like oh rational genius, but I, just, I, I feel like I learned more in the time I spent nurturing my imagination with those games than I did in, in any kind of you know institutional education setting back then. Um, but uh, so those ga- for for the longest time, I thought I was just uh, I, I hadn't made in the world of video games. I, I was I had reached the pinnacle. I had somehow I'd won the lottery. I'd lucked my way into getting this console that I never in a million years would have gotten in the wild. Like, my parents weren't going to buy this for me. And not only did I get the console, I had all these freaking games that came with it. And I still don't know why this console had so many games. Like, I don't know, you know, why someone ordered a Sears video game console and five million games, sent it to the wrong P.O. box, never came looking for it. I don't know. what That, that story is lost to time. Um... But uh, I guess we will close out this week. I, I, I will cite the pinnacle of that era for me, which would have been like early 80s era. Again, I think I probably got this this uh, system somewhere around 82 or thereabouts. Um, but uh, the game that stood tall above all games that came with that system... And the game that sort of represented the gateway into the kind of games that would occupy me on and off for the rest of my life was the Raiders of the Lost Ark game for the 2600. And if you are familiar with the Raiders of the Lost Ark game for the 2600, it, it, was, a, it was a very early, very primitive attempt at basically kind of like a point-and-click adventure game. Um, you know, it's a, sort of like the Lucasfilm... Raiders of the Lost Ark game that eventually... What was that one called? I can't remember off the top of my head. But the one that everyone loves that came out, you know, it was a PC game. This was like an early stab at something like that. Because this wasn't just... This wasn't just uh, controlling an Indiana Jones character jumping on a platform or whatever. you You were wandering around trying to collect different items and use them in combinations that could get you to where you needed to go. Um, in, to, uh, further the plot of the storyline. And, uh, you know... We're hitting the 38-minute mark, which is what I said these uh, shows usually go for. And I'm going to call it here. We're going we're gonna to begin next time talking about Raiders of the Lost Ark and what it meant to my childhood, what it meant to my family, what it meant to that era of home video gaming, that 2600-slash-Sears, whatever it was called, era. Next time on episode 91 of the Mr. Sensational Gino Vega podcast. Until then, it's me. It's me. It's Mr. Sensational Gino V signing off. Ladies and gentlemen, the Atari Corporation is proud to uh, introduce to you our newest spokespeople, Robert Diggs, commonly known as the RZA, being accompanied by Mr. Jeffrey Eisen. Atari! 2600! 2600! It's for the children! Wow! It's for the children! Don't you know that Atari? 2600, 2600 is for the children. Oh, wow, for the children.